As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Bridgeroli here with you on this Monday. It's Monday, October 18th. The LCS series are in full swing. We have a ton to talk about, so we're going to get right to it. Let's start with the NLCS, since that's more fresh in our minds. Atlanta coming away with a Game 2 victory over the Dodgers, taking a 2-0 series lead. Where is this coming from? How is this happening? A lot to unpack here, of course. I was wondering if part of the cost of using Max Scherzer to get the save in Game 5 of the NLDS was not getting him to pitch quite as deep into Game 2 of the NLCS as you might have liked. But seeing how the game actually played out, I don't think that really dictated much about the outcome, even though they clearly did get him out of that game earlier than they ordinarily would. Tactically speaking, probably some other things with the Dodgers pitching management that we're going to get into. So, you know, what was your takeaway seeing how this played out with Scherzer in game two? I mean, I, I hate to like sort of paint a narrative, like a, a story and a, and, a, and a series and, you know, paint a narrative that's larger than just what happened in that game. But it is our job, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, I mean, I do think this is the chickens coming home to roost a little bit on the modern day playoff pitching plans. You know what I mean? Like uh, what we saw, you couldn't actually probably have thrown Max longer. People were like, well, you didn't have to take him out so early. He was already down in velo. Like he was in the 92s uh, on his fastball uh, in the fifth. So that was a consequence of using him um, as a closer. And then um, because you did that, I think there was no way to avoid using Julio Urias, uh, who was also, he wasn't as down as Max, but uh, he basically peaked at his seasonal average. So it wasn't like, um, even wasn't even a typical Urias uh, fastball that that inning. So uh, both of those decisions come from the fact that you have decided that you're going to use guys on throw days uh, and you're going to power through that way. So some consequences uh, for those decisions. Yeah, I mean, the Nationals employed the strategy in 2019. The difference to me is that they didn't empty their bullpen in a game five to a scenario like the Dodgers did. I think they're still paying for 
winning that game five over the giants and having to use the guys they had to use, uh, you know, and if they don't win that game on quite a controversial way to win that game, but if they don't win that game, I know that they're not here. I get that. It just seems like all these guys are exhausted from that. And the Braves are capitalizing like the Dodgers pitching, like Max Scherzer said yesterday, I had nothing left. He Mm -hmm. never will admit stuff like that. Like I had nothing left. My arm was dead. I couldn't go anymore. Usually you got to fight that guy to take the ball from him in the middle of a start. That kind of tells you where he's at and perhaps where a good chunk of the Dodgers pitching staff is at at this point in time, honestly. Yeah. I mean, getting Urias in on his throw day, he ended up giving up a huge hit in this game. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you wonder now how that impacts him for his next start. Later on in the series, I think I'd be game four if I'm doing the counting correctly in my head. So there is sort of this this sort of trickle down or cumulative effect that happens when you start using pitchers the way some of these teams are doing it. We're seeing something a bit different in the ALCS. Injuries can be a wrench in these plans as well. But I thought the the big decision that I didn't agree with, and I don't know if it was an obvious they should have done it differently sort of thing, but again, based on process, not on result. Bruce Dar Gratterall coming out of the game for Kenley Jansen, it's, it's another righty. You get Gratterall up there throwing 101 with movement. He's sawing everybody off. I know they got a runner on base against him, but I kind of thought they should save Jansen until the next inning and just let Gratterall try and finish out the ninth inning. Do you agree that Dave Roberts made the right decision by going to Jansen, or would you have left Gratterall in there to try and finish that inning out? I... I think it's hilarious that we're thinking that Dave Roberts has is making any call. There was this scathing uh, article in the in LA Times today that basically just crushed Andrew Friedman and Dodgers management for trying to be too smart. It was dead on, in my opinion. Uh, you know, pulling these strings. It did not once mention Dave Roberts, which should sort of tell you that the way this organization works, the way things are scripted, the way the Dodgers have tried to get kind of too cute, um, has really not been Dave Roberts. I think it has been. Andrew Friedman and the Dodgers front office. That's really who we should be pointing fingers at and asking, why are they doing these moves? Why did they need to use the opener? Why did That's why they had the bullpen game. Why are we taking guys out of their roles? Uh, to me, it's not fair to put this on Dave Roberts. This is very clearly not Dave Roberts. This is, like Eno said, modern analytics and perhaps too much, right? Have we gone too far here now? Because the Dodgers look exhausted. Imagine if they get through this, getting to like a seven game world series. They, they just look exhausted. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I also want to push back. Like some people are like, well, uh, you know, Al, Cora gets to, you know, choose what he wants to do. He's doesn't, he's not hamstring by hamstrung by his front office the same way Kevin Cash is. I remember when I wrote about the, um, uh, Blake Snell decision last year, uh, uh, Tampa pushed back really hard uh, saying that Kevin Cash gets to make his own decisions. So I actually think that the amount of control that the front office has over the manager um, is something that's really hard to know. Um, and uh, and also is not necessarily just cut and dry, like more more autonomy for the manager is better. Like the Dodgers won it all last year. <laughs> you know what I mean, like that's pretty hard to argue against. But um I think that to some degree front offices are participating in the decision-making and maybe driving it, but you know, we just don't know what exactly what that degree is uh, in every, in every, in every dugout. Um, I was surprised to learn that the giants uh, were giving lineups to Bruce Bochy in 2010. So my general thought is that front offices had long had more uh, 
control over decision making on the field than people than people think. I mean, I know it was the movie, and it's not all real. But in Moneyball, it was clear that it was not Art Howe completely making all the decisions on the lineup card each and every day. He thought he should have been, and he wasn't. So yeah, this could go back twenty years in some organizations at this point. I'm trying to decide if it, it I don't know if it's too cute or if it's just like if there are consequences to managing your pitching this way that we just hadn't thought about before. Which you know, that's not it's not totally abnormal, right? You try something different, it looks like it makes sense on paper and maybe it still does mathematically make sense, but you just didn't realize, oh yeah, the secondary effect of this is now we've got less velo here from this starter and then that makes the starter less effective and then because that happens, now we're in our B bullpen later on. But everything is kind of front-loaded to, hey, we got to survive today. We have to win Game 5 of the NLDS to even get to the NLCS. If we don't do things this way to win this game, if we don't optimize to win Game 5, the NLCS doesn't happen for us. So I, I think there is some kind of balance there. I, I would love to know, in, in each organization, how much autonomy does any particular manager have at this point? I think a lot of managers are on the same page with the front office. That's why they're the manager of their respective teams, because if they weren't, yes. We have a Mike Schilt situation. Bizarrely enough, Mike Schilt linked to the Padres. Britt aired his aired his laundry, man. Yeah, but like, yeah. basically oh. saying like he's not doing running the lineups we put out there or something. That's what that's what I read between the lines. He's like he's not following the script we give him. Which yeah. I but also John Baziliak has a really bad reputation. Like people have really struggled to work for him. Um, so I think that's important to mention here too. And also, what kind of world is this today where? Uh, a manager can say, I, I use the numbers, but they can't be the be all and end all. And that's the reason why he loses his job uh, because they fundamentally don't agree because Schultz still is going to make decisions on the field. That's, to me, that, that kind of has to be the case. Um, you know, it, it's, that to me is just sort of unfortunate. And I don't want to sit here and talk about how the Dodgers lost two games um, and paint it that way, because let, let's give the Braves a little credit. The Braves won two games. They've had two walk-off wins, and they did it in that first game against Blake Trinan. They, they got to Blake Trinan, which to me gives you confidence. It lets you know the next time that guy's in that game, he's going to be thinking about it. They're going to be thinking about it. Um, they've had some really, really big hits. Obviously, Austin Riley, um, just up and down that lineup, being able to keep pressure on the Dodgers um, and to be able to go to L.A. knowing you're up 2-0, um, I think we need to give the Braves a little credit here too. Maybe they aren't as talented as the Dodgers, but they're playing better. So at what point do we give the credit to Atlanta who went through Milwaukee as an underdog and is certainly an underdog here and their bullpen has been better than expected. Their pitching has been really good. Um, I think we have to kind of give props to the Braves here because to me, they, they've, they've done exactly the, what they should have done these first two games. They've put pressure on a very tired Dodgers pitching staff and they've gotten the key hits when necessary. And I think they also managed to escape a situation in game two. Ian Anderson only went three innings. I thought the biggest weakness for Atlanta coming into the playoffs would be the B relievers. So throwing your B relievers out there against the Dodgers in the game where you were down 2 nothing in the first inning, that seemed like a recipe for disaster. And that unit also came through. I think that was one of the bigger surprises for me so far in this series. Yeah, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, that concept of lineup diversity, which um, uh, I haven't really seen nailed down. But when I look at this Braves lineup, it's not they do strike out too much as a whole, but it doesn't mean that every single one of them strikes out a ton, you know. Um, So seeing like Eddie Rosario and Ozzy Albies come up with big hits doesn't really surprise me, but it does require 
some guys getting on in front of them uh, for them to turn into wins. You know, um, yeah. you can't just have two hot guys. But if you have two hot guys that can uh, make contact really well and are maybe a little bit free swinger, but are willing to maybe go outside the zone or ready are ready to attack at any moment, then maybe having a couple guys that get out in front of them. And then you have the more free swingers kind of drive them in to win the games. I mean, that's sort of been what's happened. Um, and uh, one thing that I saw when I look at Eddie Rosario's page is it's been traditionally much worse against uh, the four-seam fastball and the cutter than he is against the sinker. The sinker is his best pitch. Now, I doubt that the Dodgers said, oh, look at Fangraph's pitch type values. Eddie Rosario <laughs> is, is really good against the sinker. However, I do know that the really out there teams, the really forefront teams, are modeling swing types and swing pathways and modeling those against pitch types. And so it may actually just line up that Eddie Rosario has a swing that's very good against sinkers. But you weigh that, your decision, with the fact that Bruce Dark Radderall's sinker is 100 miles an hour <laughs> and Eddie Rosario might be teeing off on 92-mile-an-hour sinkers, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, uh, it may be, it may be too smart, you know, like it may be too <laughs> smart. It may, maybe sometimes, you know, maybe sometimes it makes sense to just go with the guy throwing a hundred. I mean, you think yeah. that they would have just done that. Too smart, yeah. too cute, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I, I think, I think I'm more on, on Britt's latter point that this is just Atlanta coming through and playing well and, and holding their own in a spot where a lot of people didn't think that they could. Now going on the road will be a different story. Momentum. I think it's, a thing maybe it's on the margins but it's a thing nonetheless uh, i got a note here from charles you know you should be popular on brave's twitter today with all the waffle house discussion i haven't seen I what had, that's about so i've uh i had like maybe four christmas dinners at waffle house interesting good to did know you, did you have a go-to order uh well it's it was, it was kind of depressing but a lot of times we'd be coming to or from jamaica because uh, we spent a lot of time there. So sometimes we'd come back from Jamaica, my mom would go, oh, we have no food in the house, and it's Christmas. Nothing's <laughs> so over. that happened enough that I was like, back at the Waffle House for Christmas, mom. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh, yeah, the Braves, and we haven't really mentioned that Freddie Freeman hasn't been hitting, and they're doing this without Ronald Acuna. So that's two big bats that, are kind of missing right now. Like, could Freeman get going? Yeah, that's true too. So, Amazing. I mean, I do think I know the headline's going to be Dodgers are down 2 0, but we should really also give credit to Atlanta for doing what they're doing. Um, it will get interesting now if the Dodgers win the next two games, right? And all of a sudden the series is tied. Okay, then, then things will get very interesting. But if you're Atlanta, you've got to feel really good about how things are slotted up. It's Bueller Morton next, right? Bueller Morton. What is, what is the what is the CS we forgot though? Didn't the Dodgers go down three one? Like didn't the Braves go up? Literally last year. This this was the matchup <laughs> yes. last year. Last year. <laughs> yes. So if you talk to Braves fans, they're like super tepid. They're like excited, but they have that like kind of like PTSD for lack of a better term about everything that's already happened to them. So you know, that's why I said it will be interesting to see what happens and how they react in L.A. Uh, the Dodgers have been much better in L.A. Uh, than on the road this year. I don't know. I think it's a great series. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm going to be at the other series, though, and I'm kind of jealous that I'm not at the NLCS, though getting on a plane all the way out to L.A., not a super fun time. The Boston flight, a little bit quicker for me here in D.C. <laughs> yeah, the ALCS has <laughs> been wild so far. Uh, Enrique Hernandez is just on fire. Three homers in the first two games. Game one was a mess. It was Sale versus Framber Valdez. Neither pitcher completed three innings, so it took 16 pitchers to record 51 outs in that game. Not ideal for game one. What has made things really complicated in this series, though, Lance McCullers, we didn't talk about this at the end of last week because we didn't know the extent of his injury. He's down for the series. And now Luis Garcia has a knee injury. He's still on the roster as of now because if they take him off the roster, he's ineligible to be on the World Series roster. So they're oh, down crap. two pitchers right now. Yeah. And they're scrambling in a big way. So... I thought going into this series, I thought between Grinky and Odorizzi, they were reasonably well covered for at least one injury and possibly two. Odorizzi ended up having to pitch a lot in game two because Garcia left early, but Odorizzi had to warm up on the game mound because that was an injury. And I think that is much more difficult for a starter who probably has a longer routine than a reliever who might get hot a little quicker and more he was, often. He was wearing a moda sleeve. Did you see that? I didn't even notice. Not very observant. <laughs> Well, a modus sleeve tracks the stress on your arm. And so he really just did his regular routine. <laughs> like there was tracking the stress on his arm for whatever, you know, time over time fatigue chart they have, right? So he really he really just did the regular thing with the the crow hops and the behind the, the mound kind of long toss. And uh it was pretty pretty impressive to see him. I, I think uh maybe it was Dallas Braden was like yeah, doing the warm up in front of everybody was the hardest part. Once he stands on the mound, he'll be all right. But uh, <laughs> I think I mean, still, I think how do they, still how okay. they cover this? I think you they're do? still okay. Yeah, because uh, Urquidy, I but I'm in the tank for Urquidy, so I think Urquidy can go six or something, and or at least five. But I think six, um, and um, and then I think Granky goes. Uh, when I talked to Granky late in the season, he said his neck felt fine. So I don't think he has any uh, effects left of the neck. Um, he also, we also talked about a little bit about his K's being down. And part of the plan for him this year was to be a bulk, uh, a bulk guy for that staff to be the innings guy. Um, and so just in game planning and season planning, uh, they kind of plan for fewer K's just to like get him through innings more quicker and give up maybe some contact on that power change uh, that would lead to outs. So uh, he said he was a little surprised that the strikeout rate dipped as much as it did, but he said part of it was was planned. So, you know, he could have some wrinkles up his sleeve 
um, even game planning wise. If he if he was planning to play one way during the season, then he's something different in the postseason. Uh, it'd be kind of cool to see. I mean, I apologize to calling for a calling mold because <laughs> that's a nice way to get an fu from a player. Uh, but uh, if Granky had some tricks left, it would be an old dog with new tricks. Yeah, but, but how my concern that we know is he's not super stretched out, right? Like, has he been? Have you talked to him as of late? Like, has he been throwing these big bullpen sessions? Like, once they put you in the bullpen, you're in the bullpen. You're on the bullpen schedule. So he's not necessarily stretched out to go five, six innings. So even yeah. if he starts and gives them a good three, they're they're kind of crushing. Somehow, for why bullpen, do I think? Right? So for reason I think this is like a, and I might be totally wrong, but I just kind of feel like. For an older dude like him, like maybe it's not as big a deal. I don't know. I mean, he just has to get up to ninety. He just has to get to ninety. Yes, yes, because he doesn't throw. Not because he's old, because he doesn't throw that hard. That's what you're saying. (laughs) I'm sure he'd be thrilled to hear that. Nobody knows. Send him this. How hard could it be to throw eighty poo? Yeah, yeah. We'll go work on that at the park uh, one of these afternoons. I can't throw eighty poo. (laughs) No, I never could. The uh, Red Sox had back-to-back innings with grand slams in Game Two, so they had an eight-nothing lead after two. And I'm thinking, is that lead really safe against Houston? Houston did come back and and made it nine-five in the end. So they, I don't know. There were a couple situations where I think they had left the bases loaded or two guys on. Yeah, yeah. I've kept thinking like, oh man, if these were turning into runs, they would be chipping away, but. Yeah. Houston's, I mean, both of these teams are the no lead is truly safe sort of offense where, yeah, you could have a huge lead and feel really good after two and, and still find a way to lose that game because the other team's offense is just that good. And I think both teams have some depth qu- pitching questions. But which team are you more concerned about from a pitching perspective now? Is it Houston by far because of the injuries or do you think things are closer to level? Like I know coming into the series, people were looking at Boston and the way they were managing things and saying it's a little more of a tightrope for the Red Sox with how they managed things in the previous round. Maybe that wouldn't work over a seven-game series. But if you had to pick a current staff with the injuries Houston has taken on, do you favor the Astros or do you favor the Red Sox from a pure pitching perspective? What do you think, Britt? I'd probably still give the Astros a slight edge. It also depends, though. Do you consider Chris Sale's outing a step forward, like a positive? Because mm. when he when he needed it, he turned it on, but he still isn't what he should, what he needs to be for them, right? Um, so I still will give the edge to Houston. I think you can look at that sale outing and you can make a case no matter what for, oh, I feel encouraged because of this, because he turned it on when he had to turn it on. Or you can be like, no, he's still not the guy that they've been waiting on. Um, he's still not the potential game changer for the Boston Red Sox. So I, I still think Houston, because as you said, as you guys said, there's guys in the bullpen who can maybe give them more than a traditional reliever could. Um, though it's a very slight edge. And I think Houston's lineup is still a little more lethal. Boston certainly is capable of power, but I think Houston's lineup is just a little bit better um, in terms of their approach, uh, in terms of not being shut down quite as much. I think if the tables were turned, right, and Houston was up eight to nothing, do the Red Sox come back with as much fervor? I don't know. Um, But I still think that Houston can maybe eke out this series. Whoever... Whoever wins this series, it feels like it's going to go limping into the World Series. But I guess you can maybe say that about the Dodgers, too. The Braves look like the most complete team right now left. And they're missing which is, the biggest parts. <laughs> which is, right? Like, which if we had talked about that, like, I don't know, even two, three weeks ago, we would have been, like, laughing on the floor, right? Like, yeah. the Braves, really? 
But that, that's the playoffs. I think it's worth pointing out that, yeah, the Astros are a better offense because right now you're like, is there a better offense in baseball than Boston's? But, uh, you know, some of it is just, uh, I have to say, it's, it's luck. I'm sorry. I mean, they're really good players, but, like, this isn't how they played for 162. It's not even how they played for 30 in September. You know, this offense is over its head a little bit. Um, and just the, you know, the numbers say that it's not predictive, you know, hot streaks exist. We're not, you know, there's no nerds saying they don't exist. They obviously exist. We just don't know. It doesn't give you any more information for the next plate appearance because the hot streak can just go away at some point. And so, yeah, I could see Urquidy coming tonight and dominating. And then we, then we just have a different perspective on it. You know, especially if they announce Granky as the starter, then it's not so much like, oh, the bullpen in game four, they're screwed, this, that, and the other, like. Then it's like okay, they got they got a future Hall of Famer going tomorrow, you know, you know, and they and they're up to one, so uh, you know, momentum is the name of tonight's starting pitcher, and uh, Sale uh, had a ninety nine stuff plus during the season, uh, so he had below average stuff in his return. Um, I think it's I think it's it's pretty easy to see that he's not back to where he was, and I think I would be on the coin that said yeah when he really ramps it up, but that's that also cuts if he really ramps it up. To, to get to his old stuff that also cuts down how long he can be out there. And that's what we've seen, right? He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he hasn't been out there very long. So, um, yeah, it's not, it's not sale, the, the savior. You almost need a situation with sale out there where you get a big lead early and you can just focus on efficiency and not try to blow hitters away because he's got a three or four run lead. Like that gives him a little more buffer, gets him a little deeper into the game. If it's a tight game, and he has to reach back and, and kind of sit close to that max. I think we see you know more three inning sorts of appearances from him uh, throughout the series. I think the the Grinky plan probably just hinges on Urquidy in Game Three. If Urquidy goes five or more, Grinky probably starts Game Four. If Urquidy goes short, Grinky probably follows him, and they probably got to come back with Framber Valdez on on short rest in Game Four. Just thinking about all the different options because if they go off the roster, if they make an injury replacement. It's not good. I mean, like Brandon Bielek, you, you don't want Bielek out there with your season on the line as a starter. It's going to keep taxing that bullpen. So I think that's sort of plan A versus plan but they B. May, how they may game. empty the coffers tonight uh, and say, you know, bullpen game tomorrow and maybe we lose it, but we got to win tonight. I mean, that's that if it is tight and they got runners, if Boston gets runners on and it's like a one or two run game and it's the fourth inning, Garkiti's coming out. Predictions for uh, this series. Now that we're, we're tied at one, we didn't get a chance to make predictions before it started. I'll start with you, Britt. I think Houston in seven. I think this is going to go seven, no matter what. They're they're evenly matched. Um, there's issues on both sides. There's concerns on both sides. I guess is a better term. Um, but I still think Houston, with the experience, with that lineup, is going to edge Boston in seven. That's that. That's just my gut feeling. Um, I don't know if I have any specific numbers to back it up, but that's where I'm going. You know, um, Astros tonight, uh, Red Sox the next day. Oh, we're getting uh, detailed. Well, I would say that the Red Sox will then win one, at least one of the next two, because uh, they'll be so it'll be so dicey for them. You know, like Framber short rest or Granky, they're going to lose. The Astros are going to lose one of those. So that okay. means seven, right? So you think it goes seven? Yeah. That means yes, goes seven. And then and then who's on the mound for seven? Like Luis Garcia? Health permitted. I mean, 
seven is just going to be a total bit mixed bag, right? They don't it's have gonna be like everybody. There's for, no Lance McCullers, so it's just going to be, you know, win at all costs. Who do I like in that scenario? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm sticking with the Astros. I picked them to win it all. So Astros and seven. It's, we are in agreement. Give me Jabronis and seven. I think the Red Sox are going to find a way. I, I think these injuries are going to catch up to Houston enough where it's, it's going to give Houston just just enough of a difficult path here to, to get through it that Boston can take advantage. They're good. The offense is good enough. They're a dangerous team. We've been talking about it throughout the entire postseason. So I'm on the Red Sox here. A Boston, uh, a Boston Atlanta World Series would. I don't think a lot of people would have had that in their predictions. No, but are you taking? Are you taking Atlanta? Have they got a two nothing lead? <laughs> He's thinking yeah. long and hard about it. Yeah, yeah. syrup ready. Yeah, I think so. It's two. It's two games. They are yeah. the two. I am too, and and thank you, Sam, for pointing out that my <laughs> yeah, you got to put that up on the board. There you go. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but beep beep. There is there's one uh, writer no. I don't have to name him. There's one writer that got uh, every single part of the bracket wrong. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> awesome. It's that amazing. Good. Shot. The I mean, moon. <laughs> you just can't you just can't predict that the favorites lose a lot more than they win. I feel like I don't know. Somebody can maybe look double check that, but it just seems like there's just a ton of upsets. I mean, it's the old adage: one sixty-two. Everyone who gets there deserves to be there, and then it's whatever team gets hot at the right time. And that's that's Atlanta in a nutshell, isn't it? Whatever team gets yeah. hot right now, the that's Sox Atlanta. Yeah. All right. So both of you have Houston, Atlanta. And I'm on the opposite side of both. I have Red Sox and Dodgers, so I'm on a little. You're still staying with the Dodgers. They're going to come back and win. Wow. Nah, their World Series was against the Giants. I think. Mm -hmm. I just think that was it. They're going to get back home. They're going to get Game Three, and everything everything's going to swing right back. All that momentum is going to be right back on their side. Wait, wait. Post that one from Charles. We have to be all proud and pat me on the head. Yeah, look at that decisiveness, decisiveness from, you know. from the kings of king of waffles on this great waffle Ooh. house day. Look at Sam coming up with DVR head Brewers versus White Sox. Did trying to shame you, I think. I don't think I took the Brewers because I figured they would be just breaking my heart. I think that was my prediction. The Brewers would ruin my life and make me very sad. But uh, I got to go back and well, listen. That, that prediction was correct. <laughs> yeah, they they absolutely did that. I knew I knew that was coming. I saw that heartbreak coming from a mile away. So. I'm getting wiser at my advanced age, but we need to go. And uh, the good news is we have another show again tomorrow, right back here at 11:30 a.m. Eastern. Thanks to all of you for jumping in on the live stream, and of course, everybody listening to the pod version later on. You can find us on Twitter. She is at Brit underscore Giroli, the King of Waffles at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can drop us an email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.